This is Nightline. Tonight, watch what happens. I'm having more fun than I've had in a month and a half. The latest lawsuit attempting to take reality TV to task. It's your life on display. Correct. And and your mess-ups on display. Yeah. It's a weird workplace, but it's a workplace. Former Real Housewife Leah McSweeney accusing Andy Cohen and others of bad behavior and of encouraging hers. There is no... This isn't okay. There is get the cameras in her face more. Could this action threaten the genre? Plus, me hereafter, in her own words, a promising young real estate agent murdered, set up on a sales call. Momo always kept secret where we lived to keep us safe. The irony is, that's what got me killed. Her loved ones frantic. I'm just really scared for my daughter. The clues uncovered by police. He offers to pay them either in cash or in drugs or both. What happened to Monique Bowe's killers? Andrew Paul, wig off and unfiltered, one-on-one. Nightline will be right back. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Phil Lipoff. Tonight, she's been called Hurricane Leah by her co-stars, but a lawsuit filed this week by Real Housewives star Leah McSweeney accuses some of the people behind the show of encouraging substance abuse among cast members and also of ignoring McSweeney's mental health issues and efforts towards sobriety. The parties in question deny those allegations. Here's Nightline co-anchor Juju Chang. I'm glad that the shows bring people joy. I just think there is a way to make shows without ruining people's lives and putting their lives in danger. Former Real Housewife of New York, Leah McSweeney, is pulling back the curtain, disclosing what she says really went on behind the scenes of the Bravo reality TV shows she worked on. I feel bad that she seems like she is going through some It's not like- your life on display. Correct. And... And your mess-ups on display. Yeah, it's a weird workplace, but it's a workplace. Filing a lawsuit this week filled with stunning allegations against Andy Cohen, Bravo, its producers, production companies, and parent networks. McSweeney, who says she's a recovering alcoholic, claiming the defendants established a rotted workplace culture and discriminated against, tormented, demoralized, demeaned, harassed, and retaliated against her for disabilities, including alcohol use disorder and bipolar disorder. I think it is fascinating that it is part of a larger sweep of lawsuits that are being brought against reality show productions in a lot of different genres. Ex-Jersey housewife Caroline Manzo, known for her straight talk. No chore, you're a clown. Alleging in a lawsuit that Bravo and its production teams plied her cast of Real Housewives' ultimate girls trip with alcohol and encouraged sexual harassment. While former Beverly Hills cast member Brandi Glanville, known for her sometimes outrageous behavior, directly accuses executive and host Andy Cohen of past sexual harassment in a scathing legal letter. Cohen explaining on X that he was very clearly joking to Brandy, but it was totally inappropriate and I apologize. All this coming on the heels of last year's so-called reality reckoning, as many stars came forward from several franchises, arguing that when they joined reality TV, they signed away more than they bargained for. Some of the most jaw-dropping claims in McSweeney's suit are directed at Cohen. 
alleging he used cocaine with his employees and treated housewives who did it with him with more favorable treatment and edits on their shows. A representative for Cohen blasted back, telling ABC News the claims against Andy are completely false. Several housewives are publicly supporting the Bravo ringmaster, including Kyle Richards, Luanne Dulesseps, and Candy Burris. I think this is not something that's going to go away without some form of, uh, of it being addressed. But late last year, McSweeney painted a darker picture of her time in reality TV in our interview. A fashion designer and New York City party girl of the early 2000s, she joined the Real Housewives of New York in 2019. I'm having more fun than I've had in a month and a half. The same week that I got the call to audition was the same week that I relapsed after nine years. When McSweeney joined the cast of season 12, she said she got paid $3,000 an episode and thought she knew clearly what the downsides might be. The pros were maybe I'll be able to help my mom retire. You were thinking financial success. Yes, and stability. She said she told producers about her lapsed sobriety and that they also knew about her mental health struggles. And so when you told the producers you'd, you'd started drinking again, but you sort of downplayed it. Yeah. Why not say this was a full-blown relapse that I was going through? So I think at that point I was also in a lot of denial about my own relapse, and I was still holding on somewhere in the back of my head that maybe I could drink normally. You're a little out of control right now. Nobody's ever been out of control in this group. Are you kidding me? She says some of the moments that made her a fan favorite were actually some of her darkest, including a night dubbed Hurricane Leah. Horrible. (laughs) It was horrible. I need two shots in that because it's time. Drink that! Fine, I thought you were a recovering alcoholic. I don't remember what I did. I don't know what I said. What you're describing, though, is the definition of blackout drunk. Oh, I was totally blackout drunk. And I was so nervous to see myself. And what are people going to say? They're going to say you're a drunken disaster. Instead, they loved it, which was really messed with my brain. She now says she requested relief from filming because she was having a panic attack, but wasn't given accommodations. Bravo disputes this claim. Her lawsuit claims the episode was the highest rated from season 12, adding to the pressure, she says, she felt to keep drinking. (laughs) What was going through your mind? Not a lot. (laughs) And look, did I choose to drink that day? Yes. Was I an alcoholic in the middle of a relapse? Like, absolutely. Give us a sense of how the producers might have had an influence on your behavior. I'm not going to put that on them Mm. for this because I made my own decisions. There is no, this isn't okay. There is get the cameras in her face more. But now she does point the finger at producers, claiming they were increasingly pressuring her to consume alcoholic beverages. She also says producers knew she was struggling with bipolar disorder. In fact, she'd been outed on the show. You know, I found out she's bipolar and she's on medication. And I know people who are bipolar and you cannot mix alcohol with meds. McSweeney saying that televised moment caused her to suffer extreme anxiety and depression. 
A spokesperson from NBC Universal telling ABC News they are conducting an investigation into the recent allegations, and a Bravo rep explaining that they've been working with production companies for stricter guidelines on alcohol consumption and safety, as well as increased psychological support and a requirement to raise concerns up to the parent network, NBC. ABC News also reached out to the producers and production companies named in the lawsuit, but did not hear back. It's a very interesting lawsuit when you have these retaliation claims that are very well vetted in how workplaces work, how much of this was personal choice, and that's something that's going to have to wander through the courts on some of these counts. Shed Media, the company that produces Housewives, told ABC News late last year that cast members and cast members only make their own decisions about whether to consume alcohol, adding it's not a requirement to drink and that production provides non-alcoholic beverages and doesn't single out non-drinkers. Everyone on the show is an adult, but it becomes a dangerous working environment when people are extremely intoxicated. Do you think it's up to the producers to cut somebody off while they're drinking? I do, actually. Yeah, I do. I think that bars cut people off. (laughs) There is a cachet to being a housewife. You get money. You also get to be a sort of public figure. And that is a, a sort of cultural heft that I think is really hard to put a price tag on. McSweeney decided to return for another season, newly sober. Why'd you go back to the show? Well, I think that financially I was very dependent on it. I was going to actually leave. And then they offered me over three times more per episode. I haven't drank since March 31st. Yeah. But season 13, she says, proved to be even more painful. I told them numerous times that I was struggling. And it was just like as if I was a nuisance and just get it together, you know? Focus on work. ABC News confirmed that a member of production at one point offered McSweeney some emotional support. Shed Media also told ABC News last year that production provides additional mental health services to cast and crew during or after filming at no cost, adding that they've also enhanced these psychological support protocols. But McSweeney says that the hostile work environment on season 13 ultimately made her check into a psychiatric care facility. I thought my daughter would be better off if I wasn't here. That's hard to hear. Yeah. It's hard to say out loud. Yeah, it is. I just think that when someone says I'm struggling, there needs to be a seriousness. But a few months later, Bravo asked her back again for a one-week trip to Thailand for the housewife spinoff, Ultimate Girls Trip. After all that you've been through, why go back? I want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I just was like, nothing could be worse than season 13. The cash incentives at that point, she says, proved irresistible, and she accepted the offer. You were offered $250,000 for one week of filming? Yes. McSweeney claims she feared relapsing, requesting producers and cast not question her regarding her sobriety, but says they later told her that her scenes were boring because sober Leah was not the Leah we know and love. Here comes Leah. Let's get Leah drunk, you guys. Let's get Leah drunk. ABC News learned that McSweeney was offered a sober coach by the production team, and at least once, a member of production offered to have her accommodations moved closer to AA meetings. But McSweeney claims when she asked to go to AA meetings, producers refused to provide transportation, instead directing other cast members to taunt Ms. McSweeney about her sobriety and mental health diagnoses. 
McSweeney decided not to return for another season. When we're dealing with a very large network and a very large personality like Andy Cohen, I imagine we will see this lawsuit settle before it ever sees a trial. I think the most important thing is that the production companies and the network and the people who are with the talent day to day need to be much more empathetic and compassionate and see these women more than characters, because I think there's a lack of humanity. Our thanks to Juju. When we return, me hereafter, the clues of a murder threaded together by the victim herself. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. 28-year-old Monique Beau had a bright life ahead of her, a promising career, two children, and a happy relationship. But that all came to a horrible, violent end with her murder. In Me Hereafter, we learn how through Monique's own words. I don't think I ever thought about what the last thing I'd see on Earth would be. In the end, this wasn't the kind of bright light I expected. Monique Beau was a 28-year-old realtor in Minneapolis before she was abducted and murdered. Some of you know, um, but for those of you who don't, I am in real estate and I feel truly blessed. My boyfriend and I couldn't get enough of our two girls. John Momo is the father of Monique's two children. Momo's a rapper. He's done a lot of songs with major artists, Nipsey Hussle, Little Baby. You can't take this pain away. On New Year's Eve 2019 at 3 p.m., Monique arrived at a suburban property to show it to a potential buyer. At least that's what Monique thought she was going to do. But no potential home buyer showed up. Instead, it was a ruse. Two kidnappers forced Monique into the back of a U-Haul truck. I went to work as usual. When I got off, I see that I had a text from my neighbor. I called him right away, and he says, um, you know, a guy got shot 
your house? And I said, no. And I said, um, where's my daughter? And he says, I don't know. When I showed up, Momo was shot multiple times. Momo was rushed to the hospital. Wanda arrived home to find the police already there. She ran to her grandchildren, who were unhurt. I'm just really scared for my daughter. My mom was right. I was in danger. And she herself found the evidence to prove it. My key. That key was laying on an area rug in the living room. It quickly became clear to me what the men who took me wanted. They wanted the key to get into the house to get to Momo. Almost exactly one hour after Momo was shot, I was shot to death in the alley. I mean, she was so, was so precious. And I just, how could you do that to another human being? How could you do that? Investigators began looking at Monique's boyfriend, Momo, and his social media for motive. And they found a music video of Momo in a shower with a large amount of cash. I realized it was my shower and my dryer that was posted on December 16th. December 31st, Monique was taken. When Momo was able to talk, police visited him in the hospital, where they broke the news that the mother of his children was dead. I cried so many tears, I don't even got no more to give. Momo told police he texted and called Monique repeatedly, and she didn't respond. Next thing I know, the door opens up. Gun instantly blazing. I got hit three times down here in my leg. I got hit right here, a bullet right here in the back. Investigators zeroed in on a suspect named Lyndon Wiggins, nicknamed L.A., a rapper who was once on the same record label as Momo. But Momo recorded West Side with Nipsey Hussle and didn't feature L.A. Momo's star was rising as L.A.'s was falling. Wiggins was not only a rapper. Lyndon Wiggins was uh, an extremely efficient, profitable distributor of illegal narcotics. Prosecutors asserted that Wiggins' two associates, Cedric Barry and Barry Davis, carried out Monique's abduction and murder, as well as the attempted murder of John Momo. The reasonable inference from the, the evidence is that Lyndon Wiggins approaches Barry Davis and Cedric Barry and says, I need you to do something. And he offers to pay them either in cash or in drugs or both. Barry Davis, Cedric Barry, and Lyndon Wiggins were convicted and are all serving life in prison. Momo always kept secret where we lived and where he'd be to keep us safe. The irony is, that's what got me killed. The entire series, Me Hereafter, is streaming now on Hulu. When we return, RuPaul lifts the curtain. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. Welcome back. On Monday, Nightline will feature RuPaul's personal and candid one-on-one with ABC's Robin Roberts. 
Here's a preview of their revealing sit-down. Monday. Why did you decide that now was the time to kind of peel back the curtain? RuPaul, the all-new revealing interview. You don't hesitate talking about being, at a time, dependent on drugs. Robin, I was at the end of my rope. Emotional. We all have a superpower, don't we? We certainly do. And 100% uniquely RuPaul. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I have been RuPaul approved! Look forward to seeing the rest of that interview. And that's Nightline. See you right back here Monday at the same time. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, America. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.